Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one, the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Awesome. What a thanks, Adam. What a beautiful um, passage of scripture. 
and what a privilege to be able to preach on something like this. I'll just get set up and we'll be ready to rock and roll. Well, lovely to see you guys. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Nicholas, um, Iggy, Nick, every name under the sun. <laughs> um, and if you have been here for a while, you might have heard me preach before. Um, so, yeah, let's get into it. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I'll just pray. Um, we've had some prayers, but I just love to pray before. So if you'd love to pray with me, that'd be awesome. Father, this is um, your church. This is your body, God. This is your beautiful bride. Father, I just ask that you give me the right words to say. God, I just ask you would speak to your bride. You would speak to your church today through your word, through your spirit. Help me to be faithful to the Holy Spirit. Help me to be, help me to be faithful to your word. And um, help me be, to be faithful to your leading, God. Um, Lord, we know your order and we know your direction. We know your safety and security. But also we just want to be open to the um, safe leading like that song. Father, we want to be stepping out of the boat like Peter to, to places that seem unknown, but they're so familiar, so safe and secure because you're there, Jesus. Um, we want to see you on the waters. We want to see you walking well. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. Well, the river of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you've been around for the past couple of weeks, you have, I guess, come across this. You've come across this um, through our brother David, um, who is an amazing man of God. Um, and by amazing, it's just, and he would say, it's just what the, he's let the Holy Spirit make him into. It's just all glory to Jesus that he's a human just like us, but he's just lived a very um, dependent life, a life where he said, I don't want to trust in myself. I want to trust in the Holy Spirit. And it's made him this what we see is an amazing man of God. He's been made out of weakness and humility and meekness. And um, he's touched through God's power so many people's lives that I've known some of you guys for years. Um, and and it's been, an, maybe the Holy Spirit's been a point where it's just like, oh, I don't know about that. Or, you know, can gift of prophecy work today? And people's lives have been met by that um, in one way, shape or another. And so... We, like Aaron said, it's divine providence that we're here today. It's, it's God's sovereign plan. Like, I can't believe that we're preaching on the, that we have the Holy Spirit after that, after we had that um, week out at Anchor City as well. It's just beautiful to see God's plan weaving together. Um, so, now more than ever, to us, it's really relevant and to know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's been flowing since the day dot he has been with the father he's been part of the trinity he was with the son in the very beginning and they're three in one and we believe that god is a three in one god he's a trinitarian god um, and it's the same god but just in different persons um if you can understand that then come teach me because <laughs> it's <laughs> for anyone who's tried to grapple with that idea but it makes perfect sense because God is love. And so if God is love, he has to be loving someone or something. And so God has to be a trinity because if God is love, he has to be able to vent or flow his love to another being. And who did he love before the foundation of the world? Well, he had to have been loving the other persons of the trinity. And so you've got the monotheistic faiths that say that God doesn't have a trinitarian aspect to it like Islam or like Judaism. But 
the question is then God can't possibly be love and how is he loving before the foundation of the world if he doesn't have the personhood of the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father. So the Holy Spirit's been around since the beginning and he is described in many different ways. But one way we see is like a river. Ezekiel 47 talks about the river of God flowing from the temple. And we see in the end of Revelation, this same river, the Holy Spirit is this dynamic flowing river, crystal clear, pure, untainted by sin, untainted by the world, untainted by the nature of human existence. He is a flowing river. But that flow and that river of the Spirit of God is only one element of His being because we can see it. We can see what the Holy Spirit's like when we look at rivers. And we see how they meander and they flow and they have ebbs and they have flows and they have different elements to them, but they always bring life. And that's one of the elements of the Holy Spirit is that He will bring life wherever He goes. You know, in Ezekiel 47 and in um, Revelation, we see that there's trees planted along the banks of the river, this river of the Spirit of God. And these trees are like us, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, people who are planted by the Holy Spirit and they grow and our leaves are like healing for the nations. Our leaves are healing through the inflow of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings life and light and vibrancy wherever He goes. But He's not just a river, He's a person. So you've got these elements where He is like a river. He's like the wind, He's like fire, He's like the, this mist that you can't quite grab and you don't know how it's working, but all you know is something's burning inside your heart and this has to be God. He's described in these different ways, but He's actually a person. The Holy Spirit is basically like Jesus in the room. You just can't see him. He's the person of Christ. And so what I'm hoping that we see in Scripture today and what I'm hoping that we see through the message of the Holy Spirit today is that the Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus, exalt Jesus, reflect Jesus and lift up who the person of Christ is. Because in a way, it is Christ, but he also points to Christ. It's a mystery of the Trinity but it's beautiful. All right. Oh, zero to 100, but let's go. <laughs> the river of the Spirit of God. Okay. Um, the thing is as well, if this sounds weird and foreign to you, I mean, well, everything about our faith is weird and foreign to everyone <laughs> because we honestly believe in Jesus who rose from the dead. Like, I don't know if you're a Christian in this, if you're a Christian in this room and you actually believe that, to believe in the Holy Spirit, to be believe that someone can give you a prophetic word or a gift of healing is not too far to stretch from a person who was dead and on the third day comes back to life, says he's the Messiah, and then he ascends to heaven. He floats up beyond the clouds. <laughs> he says, and everyone's like, we want you, Jesus, stay here. And he's like, no, it's better that I go away. It's better that I leave so that you can have me, the Holy Spirit, not me, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, okay? So, uh, it's better that Jesus went away, and that's crazy, because I don't know about you, but I would much rather have Jesus with me right here, right now, just holding my hand, walking through life, what do I do here, Jesus freaking out, but he, he's going, no, I want to make you like myself, I want to make you like Christ, and then I want to live through you. Um, 
And so it's not too far a stretch of the imagination or too far a stretch, I shouldn't say imagination, too far a stretch of our faith and reality to believe that this Holy Spirit could be alive and working here and now because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe he ascended past the clouds out of their vision and sat at the right hand of God. So, I mean, if you're going to believe that, you may as well just come all in. <laughs> There's no point going, I believe in the resurrection and I'll just forget about the Holy Spirit because honestly, w- the Holy Spirit works in powerful supernatural ways but also it's ways that very are very normal it seems very normal but it's it baffles people who don't know him but it seems very normal to us um and that leads me to what i want to say first before i get into um what i've got here is that we we are not when i look at our church and i look at the people here in this church we're not a church that's void of the holy spirit you know, we're a church that, that actually bears the fruit and the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've been sick and you've just had meals delivered to your door. That's never happened once in my life apart from when I came to this church. I got COVID a month, couple, a year or two ago and there was like so many meals delivered to my house that I was just in my freezer, like stocked up in lockdown, <laughs> just eating and just... That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a miracle, okay? And I'm going to talk about what miracles are in, in a bit, but that there is an act of God's grace. So we're not a church, and when I look at the way people love one another, the way people are raw and vulnerable with one another, the way we are, are real in our lives, the way we've seen God weave our stories to come here, the way we've seen God answer prayers, I don't want us to think, oh, now we're going to become a church of the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, you already are a church of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit believe, uh, lives in you the moment you believed in Jesus. And so don't think that, oh, I'm not there yet. The kingdom of God always starts with a mustard seed and it grows. So whether your mustard seed's still in seed form or it's a little bush or it's a massive tree, it doesn't matter. It's all still a mustard plant. And, and uh, the kingdom of God is like that mustard seed. And our church, is on, we're on a journey but we aren't void of the Holy Spirit. We are a church that has the Holy Spirit living, working, and His gifts are flowing among us already. Sometimes we just need to have eyes to see it. That being said, when we're grateful for what we've got, it can grow. Okay, When we're grateful for what we got, we've, got, we've got, it can grow. And that's what we're going to see um, in our midst. Um, so yeah, I just declare over our church that we're a church that's going to grow in the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we're a church who isn't afraid of tongues, we're not afraid of prophecy, we're not afraid of healing, we love all of the works of the Holy Spirit because we love Jesus, and Jesus says it's good, and so we love that, and that's who we are. All right. Why teach, focus, and be proactive with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Why would we do it? Well, the Bible's got some really clear insight for us. Verses 1 and 2 of what we just read, chapter 12, to not be ignorant or misled. I don't know if you've been around charismatic or um, Pentecostal churches where you're like, well, that's going on and that's out there. (laughs) We don't want to be ignorant and we don't want to be misled. Also, um, there's churches that aren't even Christian churches anymore because they've been so taken away by... um, spirituality and just and they've been taken away so we want to know the holy spirit we want to know his way because god has a specific way because we don't want to be ignorant to it 
but we also don't want to be misled. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be ignoring it all, but we don't want to be taken away on a wild goose chase. To glorify Christ as the Son of God. Verse 3. Verse 3 says that no one speaking of the Spirit of God can call Jesus Christ. So we want to glorify Jesus as the Son of God. And the gifts of the Spirit and the flow and the work and the ministry of the Spirit is what's going to help us to glorify Christ as the Son of God. Um, To help uplift and encourage one another's faith. So we want to teach and focus on the Holy Spirit to uplift and encourage one another's faith. I saw some people after they got a prophetic word from David, they looked like they'd seen the risen Jesus. It's like a bit of like a, oh my gosh. And that's what it's like when the Holy Spirit encounters you. You're just like, oh my gosh, he's real. This has gone from, because it's amazing to believe, but how much of a blessing is it when God gives you something to, a, a confirmation of your faith? When you've got this confirmation, you go, I've d- I, would, I would have done it without the confirmation, but when you get that confirmation that Jesus really is in fact risen, it helps us, it encourages us, and, uh, and uplifts us. And people who've never experienced this, or they've never hungered after this, they live their life, and, and there's just, you're hanging on to faith, and it's amazing, but it's just so nice to have that confirmation, confirmation and that the reality of our faith. Um, and that's in verse 7. Um, verse 11, to yield to the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit, how easy and nice is it to be in control? I love it. I love planning things. I love to all organize. But when the Holy Spirit breaks out, uh, he affirms that God is sovereign and we're not. Verse 11, to yield to the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 says, um, but to one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Not as we will, but as he wills. And it reminds us of Jesus' prayer in the garden. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 13, why do we pursue this? To drink and refresh and experience the life of the Spirit despite worldly differences. We are all incredibly different here in this room. We all have different passions, pursuits, cultures, backgrounds, languages, um, not religions. (laughs) But everything else is different. But verse 13, despite all of our differences, the Spirit unifies us. When we drink of the Spirit, there's a life and vitality. Who's been in a dry church service or dry church? It's like, I need a bit of life here. I need a bit of flow. I need a bit of oil. I can't just do the regimented machine of church. There has to be life and substance about the person of Christ. And that life comes from the Holy Spirit in verse 13. Despite our worldly differences, we can be unified saying, yes, we all drink of the same Holy Spirit. Verse 21 We want to learn and appreciate the uniqueness of how we walk with Christ. So we appreciate the uniqueness um, and the the diversity of expressions of faith rooted and grounded in Scripture. And verse 23, to carefully protect the members of the body who need special care. Okay, So the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit helps us to care for people who need that um, extra bit of attention. There's people who have just been dealt a rough hand in life and that's God has a place for you and it has a place for them because there's that special care that comes through the ministry of the Spirit. Verse 26, to recognize that we are one. If one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part is honored, we are all glad. So we can suffer with one another. We can rejoice with one another. Um, 
And verse 13, and I'm going to talk about this in a bit, but to be Christ's body here on the earth, to be Christ's representatives on the earth. There are so many reasons why we need to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. There's so much biblical support for it. But it's like eight, nine scriptures just then, just going boom, boom, boom. These are reasons why we need the Holy Spirit and to be pursuing it. And when I say need the Holy Spirit, I mean like we all have the Holy Spirit already, but there's a difference between having it and eagerly desiring the gifts. And there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit and actually opening up your heart to say, Holy Spirit, flow through me. He works with, I'm going to talk about it in a second, but he works with our will and our yes. God, don't worry, God's sovereignty is weaved in through all of that, but he works with our yes and our desire. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are a continuation of the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus came to earth, we believe that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven came and it was at hand. In the Gospels, Jesus says multiple times, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's within reach. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is an act, it's a participation, it's a continuation of Jesus' continual inbreaking kingdom. The kingdom of light has come and it's inbreaking into our dark, sinful, um, depraved world. And as the kingdom of light comes in, light shines and then people start to see clearly. They start to see Jesus, they start to see clearly. So Christ came to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit we're going to see is all about Jesus' ministry and work. It's all about his life, what he did, and about his work. Mark 1.15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, his call was to, to turn to him, to believe in him, to trust in him, and not in ourselves but also because the kingdom of God was at hand. And we can't trust in Jesus unless we see the kingdom of God, unless we see the inbreaking of what heaven is. And when we see what heaven is and it breaks into this earth, we go, wow, I can taste and see that the Lord is good and he's someone I would want to trust. Some people have said that, oh yeah, Jesus' ministry was cool, but there wasn't, it wasn't actually that ground shattering. It wasn't that earth breaking. It wasn't like there was miracles flying around left, right and center. He did only did a couple. The Bible only records a couple. John records, you know, seven miracles or so that he actually did. All right. And I understand what people are saying. They're saying that, you know, there's just, there's a couple of points where Jesus reveals his deity, but it's actually not what the scripture teaches. When Jesus came to earth, the kingdom broke in. God's reality, what heaven's like, came to earth and it changed everything. It was earth shattering. John 21, 24 to 25 confirms this, that when Jesus came to earth, there was so many supernatural divine healings, deliverances. I mean, if you don't like divine healing and deliverance, you're not going to like Jesus because that is all he did. He taught the kingdom and he brought the kingdom. And that's what he was doing. He was revealing what the Father in heaven was like, but he was revealing what heaven itself was like before the effects of sin. So everything Jesus does is reversing the impacts of sin. So if you see Jesus doing something, he's actually bringing heaven's reality here to the earth. And so people say, oh, there wasn't that much stuff going on. I mean, John 21, 24 to 25, John says this. He says, this is the disciple who testifies of these things. And we know his testimony is true. So he's talking about himself. 
And he said, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Do you get that? John's saying, if they wrote down Jesus' miracles one by one, the whole world could not contain the amount of books. So for people to say, oh, there was a couple of miracles here, it's not true. There was so many divine occurrences of supernatural healing and deliverance and restoration of people's lives that Jesus did. It shook the whole earth. Why do we still know about him 2,000 years later? Because he was bringing heaven's reality to earth. Now, we're in this period where Jesus has done that. He's sent his spirit through Pentecost. And now we're in this period, it's called the now but not yet. Right, so we've got the kingdom of God breaking forth, but there's still evidence that the kingdom of God hasn't fully come yet. And don't get me wrong, the kingdom, Jesus is going to come back again, and it's going to come to full completion. But now we have this privilege of seeing Jesus' ministry, what he did on the earth, continue through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Is any one of us going to be like Jesus? Well, probably not. But Jesus is such a good teacher and such a good father. He, act- he actually says, it's crazy, but he actually says, the works I do, you'll do, and greater. Is he talking about reality there? I think he hopes so, but I think he's talking about the heart of a father. And any father would want his child to ex- exceed where he's been. Any father would want to leave an inheritance to give a platform to their son or daughter, to go further, to reach higher, to do better. So in reality, are we going to do more than Jesus? I don't think so. Prove me wrong. But the thing is that he's going, I'm going to leave my spirit and what you do with the Holy Spirit is up to you. It's limitless. It's limitless. So we're in this now, but not yet. But And Jesus revealed the gifts of the Holy Spirit as acts of divine power and demonstrated the good, holy, whole shalom of heaven. Another really important scripture for us is Hebrews 13, verse 8. And it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he hasn't changed. Now, some of you guys may have heard some objections to this. Um, And one of the main objections to the gifts of the Spirit working actually comes from this passage or just after this passage to be read. So some people say, oh yeah, that's cool that Jesus did all that, but it's actually ended with the apostles. There's a couple of issues with this, and that's called cessationism. And one thing I want to say is that we honor and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ who who don't believe the gift of the Spirit is still going. Um, But I want us to be really confident that what we believe is rooted and grounded in the truth. Okay, so before we go further, and I've got, there's so much more we can say, but I just want to address that, because some of you guys might be thinking in your mind, but no, someone said that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, they died with the apostles. There's a couple of issues with this. Uh, Number one, did Jesus' ministry change? Is he double-minded? Did he start doing one thing, give the church as his body, and then say, okay, now you guys do something different to me, and I've changed? Is he double-minded? Another issue is what happens to the apostles? Do we start to idolize them and say that they're better than us, that they're some super apostles? Well, Paul clearly says that there's no super apostles, that the apostles are just ordinary men like us, empowered by the Spirit to do incredible works. They've got a position, they've got a place in the church, they're very, very important, but they're not greater, they're not these superhero people, so we can't idolize them. The main scripture that people use to put forth this idea that the gifts of the Spirit have ended um, comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 
8 to 13. And basically what they say is once we get the Bible, we got the complete canon of scriptures, we got all of the scriptures put together, the gifts of the Spirit um, have ceased to, to be a, um, a, a thing, a present thing. So they basically say once we get the Bible, we don't need the gifts anymore. And I don't b- agree with that. I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches us. Um, if we read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 13, this is the scripture that they'll use. They say, um, so they've got love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So what people um, have used this scripture to say is that once we get the complete canon of scripture, which they say is when that which is perfect has come, then all of these things pass away. The only problem with that, and I just want to address this quickly, but the only problem with that is in verse 12, it says, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Okay. The reason why this is talking about the second coming of Jesus and it's not talking about the finished Bible is because I don't know any person, myself included, who actually knows God in the same way that he knows me. But when we get to heaven, we're going to know him as we're fully known. But just because I've got the Bible doesn't mean I know God the way he knows me. I'm figuring out things every single day (laughs) and I'm still going to be figuring out them every day until I die. But when Jesus comes back face to face, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to see him and we're going to be like him. We're going to see him face to face and we're going to know the love that God has for us in the same way that um, and in the same way that he already knows us. Okay, so hopefully that addresses that for us. That the gifts of the spirit haven't ceased today. That's the main scripture that people use. And they say, once we get the Bible, we don't need anymore. It's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about the second coming of Christ. We love the closed canon of scriptures, but that doesn't mean the closed canon of scriptures doesn't refute parts of the closed canon of scriptures. doesn't refute 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. All right. Cool, cool. All right. So much. If this is your first time to church, welcome. (laughs) Oh, sorry. We are... Okay. Okay. What are the gifts of the Spirit? So we talked about these gifts. What are they? What are they? We see from verses 8 to 10 in our passage that we read today, they're all our different gifts. Wisdom, divine wisdom. So this could be talking about like the wisdom of Solomon, but it also could be talking about the wisdom that we saw through David. He spoke things that he couldn't possibly have known. You know, he had and, and some of you guys might have experienced this as well. You pray for someone and something comes out of your mouth. It's like, it's something that you couldn't possibly have known except by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it touches that person's heart. Um, we also have gifts of faith. 
Think of the guys in the Old Testament who had this radical faith, stepping out of the boat, walking on water, gifts of faith like Peter. Gifts of healing. Um, This can be instantaneous or it can take time, but it's a prayer that leads to healing, physical healing in our body. Um, Miracles, which are are commonly like signs and wonders. Um, So that's things that just basically blow our natural mind. Um, And yeah, Um, prophecy. Prophecy is important because it's it's seeing people through the lens that God the Father sees them. So it's it's calling out, okay, I can see you the way God sees you, not the way people have judged you for, not the way you've judged yourself for, but I'm seeing you through the identity that Christ has given you. Um, and then prophecy also does that for circumstances. So it looks at, like um, a classic example is Ezekiel in the Old Testament where he looks at the valley of dry bones and he says, no, these bones have life on them. How powerful is it when it's like it's you're calling something that's not before it is. You're saying that something is because of God's power and because God's revelation before it actually has come to fruition here on the earth. So prophecy is calling what's not into the present and it's saying, you know, though that this situation looks dead, but it's actually alive. And everyone goes, No, it's not, it's dead. You go, No, it's alive. Because I'm operating on a different frequency. I'm thinking through what God is saying about the situation, not what I'm saying about the situation. Discernment can be just wisdom. So you could be discerning my preaching right now, or you could be discerning spirits. You could be discerning whether something's an evil spirit or something's a, like a, um, a good spirit. Um, and, and yeah, that's there. Um, tongues, these can be angelic. Um, so they can be un- like you can't understand them. So um, Paul talks about speaking in tongues more than he says i speak in tongues more than any of you and i speak in tongues that are that um, are indiscernible you can't actually understand them um through a natural mind um or it could be languages so in pentecost it was actually languages and they spoke in different languages and the people could hear them glorifying god in languages that weren't actually their own um and i've um heard stories of that happening um And then interpretation of tongues is really important as well. So that sort of demystifies the whole tongues thing because tongues freaks people out. They've gone to like a church, a Pentecostal church, and they're going, what is that? And like they're just hearing like, and they're just going, oh my goodness, what is going on? Are they like incanting things or like whatever? Um, It can seem a bit weird and out of the box, but the thing is the fruit will always show what tree someone is and so if someone's life is glorifying jesus and they believe in jesus and love him they're probably not conjuring up weird things with these tongues they're probably just speaking in an angelic tongue um which may sound like gibberish to some but then there's something about when the holy spirit touches the tongues and you're speaking them and then the holy spirit touches them and you feel peace that you've never felt in your life before you feel joy and these fruits of the spirit you see the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit working in tandem. And so it's a real confirmation to your heart to go, this isn't weird in this thing. It, it's not um, evil or it's not weird in that sense, but it's safe and it's God's heart, even though it's... I mean, think about the seraphim in, in Revelation. That's weird. Like they're, they're beasts with wings and eyes and like God's just beyond us and outside of our bodies. All right. Mark um, 8. Oh, okay, cool. So Christ revealed this. Okay, so I don't really have time to focus on a whole lot of the different gifts of the Spirit. I can't focus on all of them. But what we are going to do is see how the gifts of the Spirit were in Jesus' life and they're central to the ministry of Jesus, okay? So let's have a little read of a story in um, Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. 
And this um, story's really hopefully going to give us a bit of a visual of what the gifts look like. So if you've got your Bible, Mark chapter 8, 22 to 26. We're going to see that Jesus embodied these gifts. Now, it's hard to tell with Jesus whether it was actually him working out of his divinity because he was fully son of God, or was he working out of um, being fully man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's, we don't know, but, but what we do know is that he did this, and Mark 8, 22 to 26, I want you to read this account with me. This is Jesus. So Jesus embodies the gift of healing. So we talked about healing. This is the gift of healing. Um, so Jesus said, uh, the Bible says, um, 22, then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into this town nor tell anyone in the town. The gift of healing is embodied here. Jesus did it. He laid his hands. He actually, <laughs> like, he spat on the, on the ground. He, he had spit and he put it on his eyes, which I don't know why he did that, but he did it. And he put it over the guy's eyes. And as Jesus put it, his hand over the guy's eyes, he opened them and he could see men like trees walking around. Like, so he could see blurred vision. And so Jesus, uh, isn't that amazing that Jesus did that and he didn't see straight away? I just find that mind boggling. But then he does, no, he's unfazed. He prays again and he prays again and then he can see people walking around. So Jesus embodies this gift of healing, that this man was blind and now he sees. That's real. That's tangible. That's the kingdom of God coming with power. Something that's very relevant for us um, at, uh, lately, especially with the prophetic words that were given the other day, is um, the prophetic ministry and also the, the word of knowledge. So the word of knowledge is when God knows something about you that no one else could know and he speaks that to a person. So John 1, 43 to 51. Let's have a look at John chapter 1. 43 to 51. So we've seen Jesus healing. Now let's have a look at how Christ reveals the prophetic and the word knowledge. John 1, 43 to 51. Okay. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, and this might have been some of you, is when David came, you were just like, can anything, like, you're sort of like a bit skeptical. Nathanael, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, he's just like, that place is like the armpit, that place is the hole. <laughs> can anything good come out of there? Um, some of you guys might have thought that with David, you're just like, oh, like, what is, who is this guy, a bit sceptical? Um, Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Jesus knew he was an Israelite, but he also knew he was a man of integrity with no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? 
Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when, I, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's amazing. Before Philip called you, when you were sitting under that fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus uses this gift of prophecy, this gift of word of knowledge to reveal that he knows. He sees and he knows. The word of knowledge and the gift of prophecy reveals that God knows you, he loves you, and he sees you right where you're at. And he knows you before you met him. But he also sees your journey to meeting him as well. It lets us know that God actually cares about us and he has the power to see us. All right, let's quickly, we'll go through a couple of these. I don't have the time to go through every single one of these, but the gifts of the Spirit continue with Christ's body and we are to continue Christ's work. So as a collective body, as the church, we are to continue this mighty work that Jesus began of the kingdom of God breaking forth. And it hasn't fully come yet, but we're going to partner with the Holy Spirit to take those steps to break, um, to see the kingdom break forth. Um, a couple of scriptures for this, if you, um, um, uh, if that's pressing on you, we are His body individually and collectively. So Jesus's body, like His body, think about it. Like He's made Himself, He's the head, but He's called His church His tangible body, His tangible representative on the earth. So shouldn't His body do the things that Jesus um, did? Galatians 2.20 talks about this. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in 1 Corinthians 12.13 talks about us being made collectively as His body. So individually, you are Christ's body. It's Him living through you. But also, um, 1 Corinthians 12.13 talks about us together as a collective. We are His body. And we're empowered by His Spirit as gifts of grace gifts of grace. So His Spirit is a gift of grace, and then the gifts that flow through us are gifts of grace to follow in His footsteps and to be gr- and grow to be like Jesus, our leader. Ephesians 4.13 talks about becoming a mature man to the full measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so growing up to be like Jesus. And then 2 Corinthians 4.7-9 talks about this treasure being in jars of clay. So we're like this jar of clay filled with God's Spirit, and it's actually Him doing the mighty, amazing works. All right. Okay. So there's a lot of, a lot of background to this. There's a lot of history to this. There's a lot of um, depth to this, that we are representing Jesus here on the earth. We're representing His body. And now we're, we have the opportunity and the privilege to step into that. Um, a couple of things. I love that there's no guilt or shame or condemnation if you haven't done this. I love that at the end of it, it says, do all, does everyone do this? Does it have all prophesied? Have all done miracles? No, but eagerly desire it. So he's going, have you all done it? No, probably not. Maybe you have, but that's okay. There's no guilt or condemnation. You're justified by Jesus alone. That's where your salvation comes from. But eagerly desire it. It's an invitation. 
So it's not an obligation, it's not a pressure, and it's not a guilt thing, because it's competition. It's an invitation. But how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, eagerly desiring looks like prayer. Jesus talks about, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And whoever knocks, the door will be opened to him. So it simply looks like you already, if you believe in Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. And it looks like, Holy Spirit, can you show me the gifts that you deposited? Because they're not gift, our gifts. It's not our gifts. It's gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's gifts. So the Holy Spirit's in you, and there's a freedom for Him to do one thing one day through you, and another thing another day. But He won't do it. And this is the crazy thing. We're co-laborers. We're co-workers. We want Him to zap us sovereignly. But God's going, no, I'm so sovereign that I've already done it all. And now I'm waiting for you to take the step of faith. If Peter didn't get out of the boat, he's not walking on water. Was Jesus on the water? Yes. Was it part of Jesus' sovereign plan? Yes. But if he didn't climb out of the boat and go, oh my goodness, this is so stupid. But he's there and he's walking on the water. He's the only human who's ever walked on water. So when you ask the Holy Spirit, it looks like asking and then acting. I've heard a preacher say one time, it's, it's, you sort of, it's like walking. Like one step is prayer and the other step is obedience. So it sort of looks like this. And it looks more natural than what we think. Because we're expecting an angel to drop down and something crazy to happen. But the crazy stuff happens, but it doesn't look crazy when you're climbing out of the boat. You know what I mean? That's normal. That's a normal thing. Like for me to step up here, that's a normal step, right? But for Peter, he took this normal step, but then he's walking on water. And, and then the, super, the, na- the natural starts to become supernatural. Quickly, um, a bit of a history slash theology thing. They don't actually have a word that they use to reflect miracle. It's more sign and wonder. It's more sign and wonder. Because we're expecting this angel crazy thing to happen, but it's actually more like a supernatural power, uh, supernatural is the wrong word, an, an empowerment. It's like we're doing a normal, natural thing in a world that's already deeply spiritual and God supercharges the spiritual to be something that we've never seen before. The word's actually called dunamis. And when Jesus did divine acts of power, it wasn't a miracle. That's a post-enlightenment thing. And, And what that means is that the world is natural and then God's thing is spiritual. The Israelites, uh, the, sorry, the Jewish people did not believe that. And Jesus did not believe that. They believed that everything was already spiritual. When you drop food off to your neighbor, it's a spiritual gift. When you love someone unconditionally who's been mean to you, that's spiritual, okay? That might actually be empowered <laughs> by the Spirit. But you get my point. Everything in this world is actually already spiritual because a spiritual being, God, Elohim, Yahweh, created the world. And he created it beautifully, but he created it spiritually. But dunamis is when that spiritual world gets supercharged with power. When this power gets concentrated from on high and it gets given to someone else. A quick story about why this matters. Well, people think, oh, if you don't give a prophetic word about Jesus and you don't say, I see Jesus on the cross for you. It's like, okay, yeah, I love that. When I think about Jesus on the cross, I melt and I lo- we love that. But 
not every spiritual gift or prophetic word that we give is going to directly reference Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, but it will all glorify him as the divine. It will all glorify him as the son of God. It will all glorify him as the name above every name. And I got a testimony about this that um, I've heard and I know someone who, who experienced this, but hopefully this puts it into something a bit more real and tangible. Don't expect the angel dropping something out of heaven. Ask and then just act with whatever happens. It could be a thought that comes to your head. It could be just an unction, a, d- a feeling, like a, a, a drawing to pray for someone. But it doesn't have to be this crazy out-of-the-box thing. Start walking and then see what God does to supercharge that. I know this story from um, someone very close to me. And this person was sitting at um, a camp, um, Camp Kedron, and they were sitting down at a table and they saw this person sitting across from this girl and they thought to themselves, oh, I I should pray for that person. And they just thought that and then a thought. All it was was a thought. And I heard this story and and this hopefully makes so much sense. So all it was was a thought. But they'd asked God for the gift of prophecy. They'd asked for him to flow through them And all it was was a thought that went through their head and it was right hip and this person needs to know that they're valuable. This person needs to value themselves the way God does. And so this person sitting there, they have that thought go through their head, just a thought. But they take that, they they go from prayer and they've prayed that and then they take the step and they go and they have that conversation with that person and they say, hey, um, I know this sounds random, but I just had this feeling, just this thought from, um, and I believe it could be the Holy Spirit, we'll see, um, but I, I believe that this, this um, could be the Holy Spirit. Is there something wrong with your right hip right now? Now you might say, oh, that doesn't glorify Jesus and whatnot, and yeah, okay, at that point it hadn't glorified Jesus. That person, the girl sitting there said, well, how'd you, like, yeah, I actually have had pain in my right hip and I've got pins from an operation, um, and then so they pray, and she f- and they prayed for her right hip, and she felt tingles and heat, which is pretty crazy and pretty cool. And she felt tingles and heat going through her right hip, and that was amazing. And then that person um, says, oh, and I also really need to tell you that you're God's valuable person. You're his treasured possession, that he loves you, and you're really valuable, and you need to value yourself the way that he values you. Now, when that's done and you go, well, that's nice, pretty word, and that's that. That person was touched, they took it to heart, and, but you could just think, oh, that's it. This is the message that I've got from, it, from this scenario. The message is, uh, just a check-in, how'd you go after that? And, and it says... Yeah, good. I had scars on my hip from harming for years. And I went home and every scar was gone like they were never there. So I made a promise to God that my body is his and I'm not ever going to harm myself ever again. Also, I can get my pins out now. They said it's feeling heaps better. Still sore sometimes, especially in the cold weather, but it's good. Thanks so much. You're amazing, God, the healer. Now, if that person didn't act on that, 
you go, oh, that's not glorifying Jesus. Well, I'll tell you what, that looks remarkably similar to the ministry of Jesus. And I can tell you what, both of those people know that it wasn't them doing anything. It's, it's Jesus. And it's, it's mixed with faith and you look like a fool and good. Like, just let that reputation go. And if, you, if it's wrong, so what? Jesus is still Lord. He's still risen. But what happens if you're right? What happens if Jesus actually speaks to you? What happens if this person who's been cutting themselves gets that and, and their scars are gone and then they start to remember, man, I need to actually value myself the way Christ values me. You say, oh, yeah, that's a quick fix. Well, when you're in those dire situations, anything is good. Anything is going to be of profit. So the spiritual gifts, they're real. They work on availability and desire, but also take those steps of faith. Ask God, God, I want to flow. I want to see this. And then when you get a thought or something or you pray for someone and something goes through your head, be prepared to take that step of faith and just go, I'm just going to go for it. If, if it's nothing, it's nothing. It's okay. It's a safe place. We've got, I've got full confidence that our church can work through any mess that comes up through it. Because I know we love each other. And, and it's important to note, and I'll just say this to finish, that the next chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. And it's saying, you know, at the end of the day, love's all that matters. But use the gifts to love people. And if Jesus did what he did without love, he would have said, it's, 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 uh, forget about it. If we do what we do without love, just forget about it. And love is actually seeing people the way Christ sees them. So let me pray for us and we'll wrap up. Hopefully that blessed us. Father, thank you that for this church. Yeah, just, and even now, like I just hear the, the one word. So I just prayed and then the Holy Spirit just dropped this one word. I love you. And so I want you to receive this as if it's God himself speaking over you and just trust and just um, look through the scriptures and see, see, yeah, make sure this all backs up that I love you and I love you with an everlasting love and I've loved you before the time began in the, in the creation and I've loved you because I know you and I see you and I love you because I am love and I don't love you because of what you can do. I love you because of what Christ did. So what you do and what you don't do is irrelevant to my love for you. My love is boundless. It doesn't change. It doesn't have a point sometimes. It just loves all the way, all the time. And right now you're found in my love because my son already died. The way's already been made. And you're accepted in him. And there's areas of your life where you've never felt accepted before. I want to say that I love you and I accept you. Not because what you do is wrong or right, but because Christ loves you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for this beautiful time. Thank you for your love. Thank you that love is all that matters. But Lord, let your gifts just rain. Let your gifts just flow.
the Holy Spirit's here in this room and it's just not a normal thing. It's just not, it's not a normal everyday thing that, you know, the Holy Spirit, we get time just to be with the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to worship now. And I'm just going to ask people to be brave as well because faith always looks like risk. It looks like risk, stepping out of the boat, breaking the mold, just going, I don't care what people think. I'm done with what people think. I'm done with what I think. I want to know what God thinks. And I want to ask, as we worship, we're going to worship and just abandon ourselves to Jesus. But as we do that, um, I'm going to ask if something, if this was stirring in your heart and you're like, I just, I've got to have more of the Holy Spirit. I've just got to, I've just, whatever that means. I've just got to be touched. I've just got to be touched by God in my heart. I've just got to have this fresh feeling. And if you know, that's not going to be everyone because other people, you're probably just thinking, I'm going to go away and chew on this. I'm going to go mull on this. Or there's going to be people who are going, no, I'm just going to actually practice this. And if there's someone next to you and you just want to pray for them, just quietly pray as we're worshipping. And, and, and if you get a word for someone, just go for it and just see what happens, see what God does. But I think there is a few select people that like, there's just a hunger to go, I don't know what I need, but I just need to be touched by God. I need a fresh feeling. I need to drink of that spirit like um, the passage was talking about. And if that's you, no one might come up, but if someone does feel that unction, that urge, why don't you be brave, step out of the boat, and um, you don't have to come up now, but as we start to worship, come up the front, receive prayer from um, Dorse or myself, and just come straight up in front, and just, it's almost like a declaration to yourself, you're going, I don't care what anyone thinks, I'm done, I'm just, I'm in, I want to be filled afresh. So if that's you, um, when worship starts, and you've got that burning in your heart, you're like, oh, I gotta do it, I gotta do it. I'll be standing up here. Just come and find me and come and get prayer and um and um and see what God does in your life. Bless you guys, I love you all. Let's worship the Lord.